Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Collect and Spec podcast, podcast all about the world of collectibles, technology, and entrepreneurship. We're back this week. Took last week off. Um, my name is Zakil. I go by Rainy Day Collectibles Online. And with me, as always, is Chris, otherwise known as Wolf of Tin Street. How's it going? Uh, it's going really well. Um, last week was it was definitely my request off, and I think uh, that is largely because uh, I am Wolf of Tin Street now, but I will be relabeling uh, a number of my things to be uh, Little Prince games going forward. Uh, definitely a bit of nostalgia there, named it after the storybook my father used to read me to bed. Nice. Uh, but uh, definitely kind of renaming everything, getting everything set up to be a little bit more official and and uh, honest and and just properly set up on, on a broad scheme. So I was doing a ton of, <laughs> uh, felt like a lot of stuff. Uh, for sure. And uh, we were joking earlier, some of the stuff that New York has me doing feels a little bit ridiculous. Tell them, tell uh, them, yeah, what's the, what's the big, cons- uh, the, the process there sounds hilarious. I, I have to be published in a daily and a weekly newspaper, which <laughs> as a millennial, I've just discovered how newspapers are still in business because <laughs> the cost of this is shenanigans shenanigans so you have to get published and then send that to the state to get your llc confirmed or i get fully registered yes to be fully registered essentially (laughs) and i need to reach out to them communicate with them get them to put it in the paper wait till the paper comes out and then take snippets and send that in or pay for them to do that which sent what on earth that's that's ridiculous yeah well there you go (laughs) there you go I have oh nothing positive gosh. to say, so I'm going to default <laughs> back to kindergarten and just. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, this has been a uh, similar thing here. I'm, I'm restarting my QuickBooks. I had a, a conversation with my accountant yes Friday actually, and um, uh, everything is still works. But I was using an application in QuickBooks called OneSAS that imports eBay transactions. Um, so like it, it was, it was super easy for me because if something, uh, sold, it would, I mean, obviously it's linked to your bank account and your PayPal and all mm-hmm. this stuff, but I could pull in all the customer information. It would pull in pirate ship shipping, would do all this stuff. But the problem was it would generate an invoice as well. So after like two months now, everything has become triple counted where all of the sales are there. But the moment you open up, um, like, like, uh, the, the QuickBooks homepage, it just shows like you know, $10,000 in unpaid invoices. I'm like, wait, wait, this isn't right. You know, (laughs) so I had a conversation with her. She's like, just just delete it. Let's start it all over. We'll reset. Um, And I was also using a bigger version of QuickBooks than I needed. I was using like the $70 version to track inventory. She's like, you don't even just use your spreadsheet. Use the like $20 version. Um, Apparently there's a, there's like the essentials and then there's one tier up that, if you want that, QuickBooks does a lot of A/B testing, so you can you have to like Google the exact name to get the like twenty four dollar subscription because usually the display is like the nineteen or the forty. It's small things if anyone is really interested in that, but um, yeah, so similar similar thing here. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, I I love because when I was I was talking with a with a CPA and I mentioned I was like, yeah, no, I actually I wrote my own software to pull that, and he goes, you. You did that. I love. He was like, "Why? There's so many other programs that you could use." And I was like, "I didn't know that." And I wanted to make sure when I called you, I could have this. And he goes, 
I think we could have saved you a lot of time. <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah, so there's a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of growing pains, but it's okay, right? You learn yeah. and it's costing me money, but that's just how it goes. Not a big deal. I'm, we're failing upwards. That's the best way to do it, right? Exactly. Every business owner I've talked to, um, from the kind of restauranteer all the way up to people who also do e-commerce, they're like, yeah, I've, it took me like a year, even two years to actually know what the hell is going on <laughs> to like get a, a functioning running business. Um, so yeah. Big news in the industry this week. We talk about PSA a lot. I A lot of my business model and inventory is based on PSA. And we got a letter. That basically said they are stopping all of they're they're stopping uh they're going to stop receiving all submissions until July, uh, anything under the Super Express tier. So unless you have to pay three hundred dollars, you can still send in your Mickey Mantles and you know, Horace mm-hmm. Wagner's and stuff like that. Um, I'm assuming most people listening to this probably don't have fifty thousand dollar cards uh, or sports cards at least. But um, yeah, the finally the backlog finally caught up with them. I think the number was have it pulled up here uh they were receiving like i think a half a million packages in a week which was the normal amount of packages that they were receiving as like for a three-month duration in 2020 so they were like okay we're done we're gonna stop (laughs) um and realistically i think this is a good move a lot of people are upset because there's many people whose businesses are just middlemaning middlemaning this kind of thing um, if you think of like the created gems of the world's, um, Ludkins and, and all these companies who are, do really great work and they're great members honestly, of the community. Honestly, us too, in a way. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, and that is temporarily being put on hold and the letter that they, <clears throat> pardon me, in the notice, they also said that they were going to bring back tiered returns, or I guess they were going to tier I don't know. They were going to bring it back slowly at a different tiered level. Um, so I don't imagine bulk to come back mm. probably until the end of the year, if they even do it. I, I could be, I wouldn't be surprised if they just say no more bulk, we're just doing economy. Um, and this is after they had initially doubled prices. And I think in their mind, after doubling the prices, you were, they were hoping demand was going to stop. Yeah. Just wasn't the case. But that's great. That's great for them to be in there. I mean, what, how, how much did they increase it? They doubled everything, so and it yeah. didn't stop. That's a great place to be in. Oh my <laughs> god! Um, man, when you roll out a price change like that and it doesn't, uh, they could. You no, know, I'm, I'm tempted to tell them to do it again, um, but no, like, please don't. <laughs> but I mean, if demand is still there, it it's only true. makes it's sense. True. Like it's this is just true. tit for tat. Uh, but that's yeah, that, that was interesting to. To, to see in here, I, I definitely noticed that the um, the other thing too, just from another grading company, which is a bit of a, a side tangent, which I saw, which made me really happy because this is what I do for a living, uh, was I saw that CGC was actually looking to hire a data scientist and are actually looking to use their data. Uh, I have not seen PSA or Beckett do that, uh, and that made me really, really happy <laughs> that <laughs> somebody is actually looking at their data and thinking, wait a second, we can actually do more with this instead of just sitting on it. So from from another side angle, I, I saw that too. And it was just like, yes, we're yeah. growing as an industry. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I feel like yeah. PSAs, from your experience, the PSA has pretty decent technical staff though, right? From what you've seen? You mean, 
Yes and no. I, yes, that they're proficient in what they're doing now. No, in that they're not trying to do anything really special with it. They're, I mean, gotcha. it's okay. purely um, ledger keeping in terms of this is what's coming in and this is what's going out. Um, and obviously they've been swamped, so I'm not going to attack them from that front, but they're not trying to look at, I mean, if you hired somebody to look at your data to analyze, say, I don't know, return times, how long does it take for a product to come in to then be returned? Okay, let's build a structure based off that instead of constantly, okay, maybe if we double this, it'll stop it. Okay, maybe if we we, we pause and close our doors, we'll be able to, okay, no, let's actually get a game plan based off of the information we have and yep. the spend patterns of our consumers uh, and go forward from there. So takes a lot of the guesswork out and that to me um even though it's just one at the at the time it just it's exciting to see that they're they're trying to take a more formulaic approach to it um which i think you need to uh so it's just exciting to see uh that's even though i think it's probably the the lowest player on the rung um i i i don't know just to me it, it's 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 exciting to see and i i really hope that it, it turns out and that they're able to create a methodology that i think honestly others will will I think potentially emulate. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I was in clubhouse in one of the clubhouse rooms on Thursday and there were a couple people who were upset, uh, just because, right. That's their business. And I spoke up cause I was like, well, I, I absolutely get it. I have empathy if your business has been, uh, affected by this. Cause like, it's just sucks. Like the reality is like, if this is your livelihood, I, I completely get it. But also Everyone in the hobby has been just absolutely eating for the past 12 months. Like this has been free money. And in business, in business, you take all of the risk and you get all of the reward. And you've been getting all of the reward for the past 12 months. And now that, you know, you, we understood that there was excessive backlogs. You saw the, the emails and the warnings about them not even being able to receive and log packages. Um, and I mean, this is just, this is just literally capitalism. Like this is the risk that you took as a business. I have empathy for the situation, but it's how it goes. It's yeah. We, uh, we've talked about this so extensively, but I'm going to harp on it more because this is my podium. Um, this is, you, you entered the wild west when you started investing in this. I mean, yes, you were rolling in money for 12 months, but nothing exists like that forever because yeah. The more that happens, the more interest gets into it. The more people want their part of the pie, the more you're going to have middlemen like established, like, this is what I do. I want this percentage. This is what I do. I want this percentage. And the more and more that becomes fleshed out, inevitably, that's how it's going to go. So to complain that it's happening at this point, there's not even a new member or party entering the system. It's one party just yeah. literally discovering their true worth. Uh, yeah. And if, if that's rocking your boat... Um, Ah, grow some thicker skin. But I, no, I, agree, I, with, I agree. agree with what no, you're no, saying. No, no, I agree. I, I'm, I'm, and I, the thing is, like, I try not to, sorry, I always talk. I have this bad habit now. I've been getting into goat format. I literally grabbed a deck specifically because I see you shuffling and I feel like I need to shuffle. Yeah, I can't now in all of my meetings and whatever. I'm just, I just do this the entire time. Anyway, um, <laughs> at least you don't do that weird shuffle where you, you're like pulling it up and like the Yu-Gi-Oh oh, shuffle. No, oh, no, no, oh, I this, do that. This uh, one, this one. There's no subtle way to do that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I cannot be in a room with people and do that because they all become like mesmerized by that shuffling. Like, what are you doing? I, I can't oh. do it like for the camera to catch. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, Anyways. goat format has been super fun. <laughs> so I've been, I, I bought a deck, uh, hundred bucks. Anyway, just super fun. I, I enjoyed 
just the hobby, the playing. I, I took me back to my childhood. Coming back to the point, I try not to. I I don't like to be the like mean guy, um, and quote unquote bully people when they're negatively affected by stuff like this because it just sucks. It it very much feels like the pandemic where it's like you were affected by the pandemic. Yeah, that's horrible. Like, like it, there's so many different layers to this. It's not, it's not anyone's fault. It's a matter of circumstances. The reality is like, that's how business goes. Like the bit, normal business cycles, some businesses are just going to fail. Some are going to do really well. It's your job as a business owner or a portfolio manager or a strategist or whatever it is to best prepare and mitigate risk. Um, which is why there's always excessive and extreme turnover, both at the LGS model and many people's, you know, uh, local neighborhoods to people who are only in it temporarily to the backpack seller who buys stuff, doesn't actually make any money and just kind of like gives up with a closet full of inventory. Like it, it's, this just, this is just prevalent. This always happens. It's going to continue to happen. Um, but I don't want to be the guy who's like, this is your fault. <laughs> So. Yeah, and it's a uh, it's natural selection, right? You, you got odds of succeeding, you've got odds of failing. You do everything you can to tip it in your favor with the experience and knowledge that you have. Yeah. Um, but that said, and I say this a lot, uh, a lot these days in terms of even too when it's it's a somewhat established industry, if something changes and you know uh, say something for example like reprints start happening faster or whatever it is okay, the tides of your business are changing. You've got to be able to keep up and complaining that it's different from what it was three years ago. Uh, something that you actually mentioned, I think on one of our casts very, very early on, like one of our beginnings, like five years in tech is an eon. And yeah. it totally is. Okay, what 10 years in another industry sh should also be an eon. Like, you know, five yeah. years should take, everything is evolving and changing. And if you can't keep up complaining back that, you know, back in like 2016, this is how it was. Okay, that was... It doesn't matter. Lifetime. It's it's not even worth like it doesn't matter. Like okay, yeah, it's different. Yeah, now you got to keep so evolving. What? <laughs> like who cares? And I think the biggest thing that I've noticed, particularly in collectibles, is uh, and again we we've discussed this, but a lot of it are uh, folks who really enjoy the games themselves, but they're not technically savvy or even really business savvy. Uh, so as things require them to be more and more of that ilk. It's kind of, they feel like they're kind of being pushed out of it because either they've been doing it or, you know, they, they feel like the game is under pressure from more of the business and, and the, the needs of tech, which is fair. And I understand that. But at the same time, that's the world. <laughs> I yeah, think in yeah general. absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, you, you I mean, in a very harsh way, it, it is kind of that evolve or, or die kind of sense. And but that's what you willingly enter into as a business. So keeping up and complaining that it might be harder or is getting harder. I mean, solve it <laughs> yeah. solve, and then go forward from there. Um, but no, I, I'm wasting I mean, breath on it too. So we could, we could talk about this for hours. Like the best retail, the best people who do e-commerce, they have the best websites. They have the best buy lists. They have the, maybe if it's not, they don't have their own website. They have very efficient eBay stores. So it's a clean, they have good pictures. They like, they know they have timely shipping. If you're selling on Instagram, like it, good communication, like part of it is sweat equity. And the, and the other part of it is like just embracing technology and leveraging it the best that you can. Yeah. And that's just how it goes. And to your point, right? You either do it or you don't. And if you don't, you can't complain because everyone else is. And there, there is also like the twofold thing of you've got to learn the established industry kind of in its archaic state to understand how it works. And I say archaic, I mean, current state, how it works. 
and figure out how, okay, how do I position that into the future myself, which is also another kind of chore on top of that. All of this is to say there's a ton of work, but if you're going to enter the arena, you've got to be willing to do it. Yeah. The next thing I wanted to talk about was actually Yu-Gi-Oh. I, I know I say this, I know I say I'm working on videos all the time. I'm actually working on a video that I'm very happy with. And I realized something I was listening more and more to a Jake from Pokenomics. He, he's, uh, he's in the clubhouse rooms. And I, very good. Listen. Yeah. I, I, I uh, people who don't know clubhouse. It's, an, it's one of the new social media apps. Um, there's a couple Pokemon collector communities there where they'll just chat and open Q and a, it's very similar to kind of jumping into the E4 discord kind of thing. But I was, I'm doing the deep dive into Yu-Gi-Oh, trying to figure out how the market works. And very similarly to all the other games, you have your vintage market, you have a trophy market specifically, you have modern, and then you have promos. And there are cards in that market which are primarily driven by their playability. And there are cards that are driven specifically first edition, which is kind of a, a pull from Pokemon. Um, that is like, this was only this was only available 20 years ago. And if you find it, great. And it... In this world of the new TCGs popping up, um, which we'll get into in a second, something else just happened. And flesh and blood is all the rage, but we just got another, another. Uh, what's the Super Smash Brothers thing? A, 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 you have a new challenger, or, or a new challenger appears. Right? Enter the ring. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm starting to think more and more about fundamentals. Are there any fundamentals to TCGs? Are there any fundamentals to good buys? If you have $1,000, should you buy a th one $1,000 card, four $250 cards, 10 $100 cards, or a bunch of dollar cards? Like Those are the, those are the real questions, I think. And this is where I find myself... Uh, I mean, these are the questions that I ask myself and I find uh, really losing sleepovers. It's like, I don't know. I think these are great buys. And if <laughs> I make 60% on something, that's still really great. But I also could have made four times on this other thing, you know, but I, I didn't go deep on. Maybe I only bought one. I could have bought 10, but I just wasn't as confident. So I'm trying to gain more perspective on fundamentals and um, embrace, like, what can I actually learn uh, just from being in the hobby, right? Like, like what what is the grading turnaround? What's actually worth it? What's not? You have to go through a couple of different business cycles. I think it'll take me another year, but doing the boring work <laughs> to say the least of those fundamentals you're, you're, you're kind of talking about trying to discover do you have like a short list like like five or under i'm putting you on the spot so yeah, yeah i'm just curious like what what do you look for when you look at a tcg and consider it to be the fundamentals before going any further yeah and i have i have high level i will uh i'll work on a I'll write out a thorough list for next week to really dive into Don't it. Don't spoil but... the book that you're going to eventually write, obviously, <laughs> but, you know, something. Yeah, it will age is one. If you have one card that is 20 years old and it's worth $100 versus a modern card that's worth $100 that has continuous supply. Um, if we're looking at something like in Yu-Gi-Oh, um, right now I have tournament pack and champion pack. So it's one age, two scarcity. So older, better, scarcer, better. I think SM Pratt has a saying, I don't remember what it is, it's kind of similar. At the absolute rarity of finding a card that is 20 years old, we are now quickly approaching the point of like, if you can find any mint condition first ed Pokemon or first ed Yu-Gi-Oh, you should probably buy it because it's going to be very difficult to find. The condition rarity itself is still important, but actually having the physical card is something else. And you see this a lot in Pops where 
some cards have very low population reports. They may only have a hundred because that card may objectively just be in terms of absolute rarity. There may only be 110 of them kind of like that's the trophy market kind of thing. Whereas a hundred of something may have only ever been graded because one people didn't really view them to be valuable. So it's like, okay, are you going to grade modern commons? Like, yeah, maybe there's only the pop of, of insert random common here may only be 50, but it's just because the card is worth 10 cents. Um, and kind of vice versa. So Mm -hmm. at a high level, there's that, um, absolute rarity, condition rarity are really big. And then on top of that is I assign this general liquidity rating Mm -hmm. where I have the cards that I want as collector or pardon me, the cards that I want as a collector that I'm typically viewing kind of as an investment. And then there are the kinds of cards I don't have. Do I have, uh, I put them away, but so this is like inventory stuff. This is all modern. I don't act, I don't want to hold this. I'm not going to advocate for you like holding hidden fates kind of stuff. Um, long term, the product may be fine, but I'm just looking to buy a list and use put the cash into something else. If I can spend $20,000, I would much rather buy $20,000 of um, first edition Legend of Blue Eyes or first edition base set if you can get a good valuation at those basically if you can get those cards in reasonable pricing versus spending $20,000 on hidden fades that as the business process happens, you don't know, like the fluctuations may be insane. Okay. Charizard may in PSA 10 may be $1,500 now, but it could also drop to $800 and vice versa. So, so if, so if I'm following you, it was age and this is pop report and, and the reasons underneath kind of the pop report. Exactly. Correct. Yeah. And, 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 and then and, liquidity yeah, I, I, and liquidity. Okay. I just want to make sure I like, I'm, Tracking yeah. from a very, you know, obviously high level here. I'm going all over the place, so I, I don't blame. No, you. no, that's good. I mean, because <laughs> I, I want to. Uh, I think you've got room for one more if you'd like. Otherwise, I would like to create a point of contention with you for one. Yeah, of them. let's do. It. Let me think of. Um, that's about it. And then the other thing, I am currently in the process of looking through, watching every episode of Yu-Gi-Oh, um, of the oh. TV show from the first, hopefully five seasons. And getting a tally of um, the cards that appeared and how many times they appeared in the series. So, is there a correlation between Blue Eyes appearing in the show or Jinzo appearing in the show um, a certain number of times and the card's popularity as the brand evolves? So, there's some like cultural relevance there that is kind of difficult to assign a me- or to have a metric to like actually measure. But TV appearances is one because like if you if you played Yu Gi Oh in the early 2000s, you probably also watched the show. And while com- the competitive nature of the tournament is certainly one thing, um, the casual and, and kind of nostalgia is is a very different thing. So you could kind of mirror that also with like top eights. I think if you can yeah. find some old tournament things, you could like, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like um, two things here before I get to how yeah, yeah, yeah. I argue against you. Uh, I can't resist. Um, sure, sure, sure. Uh, I, I like what you say about like, tracking the cards and how they show up in the episodes to like a top eight because like i track the top eight of any tcg that is more widely used by players and i've made it very well known i prefer tcgs used by players because that gauges consumer demand the thing i hate about doing that is the consumers have already bought so you're already scrawed 
Um, but it's a way of gauging overall interest in certain cards. And I like that you're, you're thinking of a way to do that for the more collectibles, which I think Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon definitely fall into. So I, I love that. I think that's really a cool way to do it, but it is very, that value that you're going to get from that. It's very hard to figure out how to effectively use it. Right. Like I think that more than anything. Correct. There is one thing I'll give one hint here. I haven't fully thought this through, but I've noticed this, Mm -hmm. this format this deck that I'm playing is called Yu-Gi-Oh! Goat Format. It is, it's a format that's been around, it's originally from 2005, so it's obviously been around for a while, but it's gaining a lot of popularity in Yu-Gi-Oh! And there are specific versions of those cards that are very hard to find, that are only legal in this specific forma, format, um, that if the competitive nature of this becomes real, like it has in other games where like randomly the old school versions of formats and decks became popular out of nowhere, I think that there's a parallel for this for Yu-Gi-Oh! that is happening right now. And so part of that is, well, what's good in the actual meta and in the tournament? And then also what is good from that era that's super nostalgic? Because I could absolutely see in two or three years um, people hanging like reliving Yu-Gi-Oh in the same way they did Pokemon, but now actually wanting to play the game. And the best part about this is this format is so accessible because all of the cards have been printed a hundred times. So you can get the $500 crazy shiny version, or you can get the dollar version and build a deck for 50 bucks. So you can always play, which is like, yeah, it's the, it's a win-win. You get the collectible appeal and the playability appeal. So the format is not gate kept by some garbage, yeah. <laughs> like, like other things, but. Uh... <laughs> it's, it's nice. And the other thing too, that I was going to say, and I, I think it actually builds on this a little bit is that uh, I think we see a split between the two of us. Cause I'll be honest with you. Uh, and this is probably going to alienate a lot of our viewers. I don't remember watching any of Yu-Gi-Oh growing up. True. I did not watch Yu-Gi-Oh at all. Um, and this is why <laughs> I think um, I've gone more towards Flesh and Blood which is, versus I think you've gone more towards Yu-Gi-Oh, which honestly I think is a much better and safer investment on your part. But I True. went towards something that I was able to learn and, and kind of know on the go versus something versus something like Pokemon, I think, which we share, which is like, oh, hell, like, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and other TCGs. But just something I thought was, was kind of worth kind of just annotating and going forward. But I mean, you, you talk about this ease of entry of having like a super cheap version and then a super collectible version or like a super expensive flesh and blood is mirroring that right now. Uh, but yeah, all but they no do is player base. <laughs> I, no, I would actually argue against that so harshly um, because, and I actually have my own data to back this now. People are playing it, but Yu-Gi-Oh is the most yes. popular game in the world. Yes. So it's not even comparable. I, I agree with you. And to point, uh, I got cold called by TCG asking me to please, 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 uh, not please, 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 but to uh, please consider signing up for their SYP program, which is store your own product, which is honestly something oh, I sure. will do and I was going to do anyways, but it was nice that they thought of me. Uh, they, they looked at the sales data and figured that was a good yeah. fit in my inventory levels. But uh, in having that conversation, uh, she told me they were actually getting, um, uh, I, I forget how she phrased it, but it was like, extremely fervent demands that Yu-Gi-Oh be the next product that is on direct on TCG before anything else. She goes, there are so many people who claim that uh, selling Yu-Gi-Oh cards is their livelihood and they are fuming that Yu-Gi-Oh is not the, is the only one of the, you know, the three main ones that are, are not currently direct that they they, she basically said on the call, the next TCG they have that is going to be on direct is going to be Yu-Gi-Oh. 
which I thought was really fascinating. I mean, it makes sense. And I think all the signs were there. Uh, but uh, if you are selling Yu-Gi-Oh cards, I think that's uh, really handy as somebody who's recently for flesh and blood having to, to send out like 60 envelopes a week. Uh, I hate my life now. Um, <laughs> and if direct ever existed for that, I would do it in a, in a heartbeat. So something to look forward to for, for, for you Yu-Gi-Oh folks on, on TCG player, I think. Yeah. The one thing about Yu-Gi-Oh and again, and, and I have, I'm exposed to all games, obviously, <laughs> but, um, there isn't really a Venn diagram of Yu-Gi-Oh. Like Yu-Gi-Oh kind of exists in its own thing. It's it's the youngest of the major TCGs where a lot of people, if you were born in the late 90s or you grew up early 2000s when the game released, you probably had some exposure to it back in the day, people playing on the playground or, or whatever. Like It was certainly a thing, but it's still so young. And... Um, as we've talked about a couple times, like a lot of the high end stuff is either sold through eBay or it's just sold through Instagram DMS. Like it, it reminds me, it's like a blend of like the traditional TCG structure that we see for other games and just like sneakers. So yeah, you have this thing. Oh yeah. This guy, like I, I bought a thousand dollars worth of packs for some, just some vintage box breaks just to have, I'm not going to crack them just to like relive my, the childhood. It was all done through IG. Like it's completely untrackable. And that's just because they don't want to pay the fees. And it's like, hey, you have this card. I want that card. Let's do the deal. And this happens everywhere. Right? You have Facebook groups and all these things. This isn't anything new. But it feels like Yu-Gi-Oh! is vastly more overly overrepresented um, on the like private side versus TCG player, which is interesting. And I'm glad to hear that that's the case because uh, that would be really good. And I, I don't think the full identity of Yu-Gi-Oh! is really captured or realized um, by the majority of, of kind of TCG well, e-commerce people because you don't see the sales. The other thing too, uh, which I think either of us just given our location on the planet might not realize, I mean, the, the most played game in the world is Yu-Gi-Oh! And that's yeah. because predominantly China, but the Asian market loves Yu-Gi-Oh! Japan, uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the, those are huge markets. And if they're actually interested in this tcg and they have i think from a human nature level the same level of nostalgia that we might have and they have money to spend that's massive but you've got to learn a whole nother uh <laughs> area of knowledge that for me is just like that's where i just go like all right i've got 27 other things i gotta learn yeah i don't even want to try um but circling back all the way back to sure, sure. your fundamentals you mentioned uh uh your first key point was something that i think uh, kind of has a, I, I don't want to say a bone to pick, but I think it's the fundamental that's being challenged most nowadays. Um, and I, I know Sean from Reserved Investments would, would have a very shut down answer for this. Um, but I'm not sure that age necessarily is, is the underlying reason for why older cards have such high value now. Uh, because in a market that's established now, if you print fewer of them, extremely few of them, with that demand profile already there, I think that is almost, if not just as effective as an extremely old card from the beginning that was printed en masse that after 20 years... Through attrition. Yeah, yeah. yeah, has been destroyed, beat, beat down. There are now equally as few copies, but you have... 20 years of people remembering that card and being attached to that card. So that creates, uh, that's what creates the stronger demand for those cards in smaller supply, supply, excuse me, versus 
these newer ones, which are extremely premium versions or cool, shiny, whatever it is. I'm thinking more like the Pokemon with the Zards because you sure, know you sure. have that demand base now. So the age almost isn't really a necessity so long as the supply is so small. And uh, what I was arguing to is it's clearly artificial. But at the same time, if you think that your your TCG or your business is going into the future, why not? <laughs> so great, great point. Um, first, I think they're two different markets. I don't think, I think comparing vintage and modern is a, a bit harder to do. To, to your point and um, something Reserve Investments talks about, there is a difference between organic collectability and artificial scarcity. I think that one, the markets are very different. Two, I don't, I still haven't seen the modern era bling stuff replace those as the cool pimp versions why do they need to replace them they don't need to replace them they can still coexist but as a quote-unquote if you're looking at this from like a portfolio management standpoint i think i would much rather i would much rather have the first option of scarcity and something that represents the up like the highest ceiling of potential for an investment than have option three and four and the reason is because, and I can't go fully into this, but it's like yeah. the vintage organic stuff is effectively guaranteed to grow as similar to an index fund, in my opinion, with the hobby, okay. whereas the modern stuff can continue to be splintered, like the demand profiles can continue to be splintered off from each other. So if something, if like in the case of Zard, if, if they print another shiny charizard it's like yeah this is great if they print the same one again not that they would but what's hot now like the, the stuff that was hot in 2015 is not hot anymore and while those cards may be desirable some of them are but some of them aren't and some of them were temporarily hot and to your point i'm not saying a card from 2020 can't be the most expensive card in the hobby it absolutely can um but if I'm looking at it in terms of, and, and this is the reason I think half of my business is based in modern and half of the business is based in vintage. Um, I just feel as though established markets have more credibility and it's something that I feel more comfortable doing. Whereas a lot of the modern and new stuff is very speculative in nature, which we've only as of the past two or three years seen the upside of that. I'm very confident owning the the genesis of every card game and like okay it's going to go up and down in the long run i will benefit from this if you have that same amount of money in modern product if they if the 2020 version is nice but the 2021 version is even is, is equally as nice or even nicer i think you kind of run into a problem there yeah you I can know. you can may not and granted, and this again, it's all over. I still, I still have a hidden fate Zard that I like, that I have, that I'm just going to keep for fun. Um, no, I, I really like that explanation. I just, I feel like at that point you get. I'm trying to think of a proper way to phrase this without, like, uh, not making, well, while still making sense, but also still being respectful. Um, um, the older cards, I feel like it really is the psychology of not only because what you just described to me was a lot of what you feel comfortable with and what you want to do yeah. um, because definitely putting money into the older stuff is a much safer investment in terms of a slow gain versus putting that same amount of money into something modern 
you have much higher potential gains, but much higher risk because next year that card might not be a value. So you're, you're playing that game. But in terms of an overall scope, I don't see a problem with the modern artificially, you know, scarce the, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The artificially scarce stuff as, as competing or a replacement or, or that you shouldn't, I think it's great now because people are comfortable spending X amount on the old stuff and they're clearly willing because that is such a relatively safe place to put their yeah, money. Yeah, you can yeah, put yeah. it in here now. So the idea that the modern stuff is, is going to diminish the older or, or anything of that sort. But at the same time, I, I feel like it's really just consumer psychology, which, which creates that. Uh, it, it is that because it's, we don't have an efficient market. Like there's, this isn't an efficient market. If this was the stock market, it's like, Hey, you can invest in seed round companies versus old companies. Sure. But it's all psychology. There's no intrinsic value but to the reason to why pick. I really like this is this isn't the consumer psychology. This is the seller psychology. I think more so than consumer because yeah, you're going to sell to an enfranchised player who's going to buy their their nostalgia one way or the other. And so yeah, if you if that's what you're talking about, yeah, you're going to find somebody who played 20 years ago and they're going to buy a card from 25, 30 years ago that they can afford now, and that's great. But at the same time, somebody could just join right now and want something that's here now. Um, no, and it's great, and that's the reason why Vivid Voltage is as expensive as it is. It's the reason Flesh and Blood is as expensive as it is. It's not. I'm not saying that those that is an illegitimate. Um, this is my way basis. of justifying that. By the way, this no, is no, no, like, and this is the argument I've been creating in my head to just to support <laughs> this. So it could be full of flaws. No, 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 and I think where the rubber meets the road here is that these. This is these are generally hype cycles in which, Hey, this is the new hot thing. Everyone's going, Oh, this is excited. It's fancy. All right, let me get in. There's opportunity to make money here. The question is, is this something that is, you we can point to many, we put to many different industries. Let's, we'll use flesh and blood as an example. Obviously, if you had bought the heart of Feyendahl or whatever the, yep. the rare card is, um, you'd be doing very well right now. Uh, and and I hope the game could be successful. I'm sure it's going to be amazing. The question is: Are the fundamentals the fundamentals that represent the typical TCG market is that you have a dedicated player base, and over time, the valuations of the rare cards based on demand and supply increase in value. Okay. My issue with Flesh and Blood and what is now appearing in um, what was it again? What was We're it? not going to talk about MetaZoo. It's bullshit. <laughs> it's bullshit. It's bullshit. Nobody put money in that. I'll is... slap you. <laughs> Verbally or physically, you get your pick. MetaZoo, which is the fl the new flavor of the month TCG. And again, and I'm not, this is just my I'm observation. I'm being respectful. <laughs> this is just my observation. The difference between Flesh and Blood and, and MetaZoo is that while I believe this is good, we don't know the, the valuations of these card games are being based on the same valuations that the other major games have, have had to work for for 20 years. This was my main argument when we talked last. So saying that a heart of, of Feyendahl is a $40,000 card or 30, I don't know what, whatever it is at now is assuming that it was a like it, it had a market at five thousand. It had a market at seven thousand. It had a market at ten thousand. Like you had this organic growth. It may not have necessarily been linear, but it happened. That is based off found like it's essentially like a buy list. The reason the stock market works is because you have people. If a stock is selling at one forty, you have people who are willing to buy it 
137 and you have people who are willing to sell at 142. Due to the nature of scarce objects, we are now put in this position where a lot of this is based in speculation. And now this card specifically, but many of these other very scarce, artificially priced kinds of things um, are people primarily driven by FOMO rather than fundamentals, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Now, with that said, I could be wrong in the same way that Tesla and GameStop and all these things still made people money. There may have been flash in the pans. They may have different valuations. They did not, to the point that we talked about before, all traditional metrics that we would have valued um, cards at or investments at over the past 12 to four, 12 to 24 months don't make any sense. Like value investing, like Warren Buffett's sure. like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> like, um, tie that into inflation, which I want to get into in a second here. It's speculation and there's speculation everywhere. But I, the only thing I don't feel comfortable in is if this was a game like some game where it's like, hey, the, their bo- the retail boxes are selling at 100. There's some money to be made here, but there's this organic demand. Like you're seeing tournaments, you're seeing the hype happen in front of you in the same way that you saw Pokemon in the 90s. Kids, people were running to the malls, lining up outside, doing all these things, um, as opposed to being uh, pushed through marketing or by content creators to generate hype. It, it just feels very speculative rather than organic. And that's just my interpretation. Yeah. My, I, I probably. Yeah, uh, I just I feel like you can disagree, and that's fine. Yeah, it's it's just we could probably keep going on this tangent for quite some time. I just I think that's the new era we live in, and I think that um, make the case. How about this? After you're done, make the case for why I should invest in F and B. You you made a comparison that these other TCGs have worked for twenty years to get their player their consumer base essentially. Sure. With that logic, though, you wouldn't look at flesh and blood for another 20 years. You wouldn't look at another investment in the collectible industry until it's been around for 20 years and built up its collectability, right? Or it's it's I, kind of... I, I don't want to say that. I don't think I'm going to be buying any TCG that isn't big. Classic. Yeah. Yeah, um, and, and that's just because I feel like there's more than enough opportunity, and I feel like that's yeah. where there's a lot of stability as well. And I I agree, and honestly, that's why I like I respect sure, sure, where sure, you're sure, coming sure. from because that I I do think that's to me that's sticking to fundamentals and sure. the basics of what you you can rely on and you know for. But I think, and this kind of pulls back to earlier, if you're going to evolve in the industry, I think those original like founders who really created a market around them. I think that market, especially given we have internet now. I mean, I remember we were talking, we were interviewing Jim <laughs> in one of sure, our original sure, like interviews. Sure. He's like, an auction for a card at the time was wild. Nobody did that. Yeah. But you have all of that pre-set up now. Like you enter into this world where you immediately can can do that. I think that creates a false comparison to these these kind of forerunners that, okay, but if if the current market had existed when say like Pokemon came out for the start right now, for the first time ever comparing it to like Yu-Gi-Oh who came out 20 years ago, that's not fair. Of course, Pokemon's going to fail. Why spend yeah, yeah, time on no, it? It's hundred um, percent. So it's just the valuations kind of, though. It's not like, 
it, it, it's the, the fact that it's twenty thousand dollars. But the evaluation is built on the predecessors, and you can say that it's not fair that they're able to only come in, in this or game, not, right? Card what? Five Vanguard only in this game. Card Five Vanguard doesn't have cards like this, so there can't. No, neither does Dragon Ball. Dragon Ball Super is getting there. Neither does Exodus. Neither does the Final Fantasy. Neither does Force of Will. Neither does. So no other TCG can have a similar point. I'm saying no. It's gonna, the World I, of I'm, Warcraft game has one, and it's I'm okay. I'm saying it could. I'm saying it could. I, I'm saying sure, it makes okay. sense for it to come in and be able to create a, a kind of a cachet to the name, equivalent to something that's pre-existing. And we can say that it's not right or they didn't earn it, and I would agree with that. And I would agree that it's a, it's a modern risk of if you want a reliable place to put your money, go back to the, the ones that have established themselves for 20 years. However, because they have done Let's face it, all of the work, somebody new can come and create a wonderful new game. And the price points, because it is a wonderful new game and people are, are can enjoy it. Uh, in the, of course, the Achilles heel to all of this is you can say people, are, and I would agree with this, uh, is that people are just looking for a new place to put their money and it's just going to balloon out, uh, which has happened before. I just think it's entirely feasible for a new game to come in and kind of stand on the shoulders of the giants who came before them and command that price point and possibly, I don't want to say deserve it, but still command it all the same because these kind of robust marketplaces exist. And because all of the the hard work of getting people to be willing to spend that kind of money was done by, by basically the businesses prior to them. I agree. So, and this, what this boils down to is like, if you're to look at stocks, yeah, you can buy Microsoft, you can buy Apple, you can buy Berkshire, or you can pick some small cap company or some startup you think is going to do really well, right? You can pick Databricks or some something, right? I agree. I'm not saying that their startups can't be valued at $2 billion. I'm not saying that new things can't come in and, and create their own market and, and be great and take market share and kick the shit out of the legacy companies. And that's competition and that's healthy and that's good. And we should all want that. With that said, 99 to one, right? <laughs> yes. 99 that, fail, one succeed. And it's worse than that, actually. Exactly. And I feel as though we are measuring the success of these kinds of games in the short term. I'm willing to revisit this in maybe four years and say, okay, well, like what happened? I may not, I might, I may not, maybe I, I lose, I, I don't, pardon me. I may not make any money and I may have lost the opportunity to make a lot of money by not adopting earlier. But I've also just held what I had. I didn't lose anything. Like, like mm -hmm. I can be late to market and be fine with it versus having to jump in and, and catch like every new wave of what's going on. And that is legit my strategy in every other TCG. <laughs> Literally every other one. Um, and that's why I, I'm still sitting on the sidelines with Yu-Gi-Oh! That is the exact reason why I'm like, I know that I'm losing money probably by not getting involved and getting in now, but I don't trust it yet. And when it, when it does become a little, when it proves itself to me, and also when I have enough knowledge, I know I can get in and make money then. Uh, sure. So I think that is what it boils down to, too, between uh, where, you, where you put money and where you're comfortable. And my, the origin of this was just to say that I think it, it, it comes back to the evolve or die thing. Uh, and I think that I am... I think quite willing to accept that a TCG could enter the scene and demand a similar price point to existing ones, even though it's brand new. And I don't want to say deserve it, but understandably and justifiably have it because the marketplace is pre-existing and all of the structures are in place 
to have a consumer base where if they want to spend that money, they can right away, which I wouldn't exist. Completely mm-hmm. agree. I would buy this argument for this example or for any future example that pops up. If I saw it, if I saw it happening, if I saw the lines for tournaments, if I saw the, if I saw everything other than the possible manipulation, You're asking for that evidence is, that can't exist in the world. Right no, no, now. and I, and 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 I, I completely acknowledge that. I'm not like <laughs> I, I haven't been able, <laughs> dude. I, I'm holding a deck. I haven't been I able know, to play. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, but that's my point: is that how much of how much. How much are people into this because of the money, and how much are people into this because of the game? Because the money is always going to be temporary. At some point, the good old boys club is the good old boys club only works until one of them leaves, and the moment someone leaves who isn't willing to have hold the big money anymore, then everything collapses. I, but I think every TCG has a good old boys club for the foundational cards that are the core ones that are never coming back, and really, it's just they didn't panic. At, at 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 any point through the years, and that's where that age has value. Um, gonna drop a name. One of the reasons why I am so keen on Flesh and Blood is because a, a, a store owner in our Discord, Ralph, he's mentioned that anytime he's having a tournament where people can show up, and I think he's in Southern California, he's packed. He he doesn't have enough seats in the house, and he can't keep any of it in inventory. So that to me makes me feel good. Also, too, I've bought several cases of unlimited product. I can't keep on my shelf. It Sure. Wise. Uh, so that to me is just that's the evidence that I'm going off of. And no, that's not the lines going out the door, but I would equivalent it in my mind as to like the justification of there are people who want this and they want to play it because I'm sending out like 60 envelopes of orders between like 25 cents to a dollar fifty. Sure, 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 sure. Um, so the fact that you know, and obviously hopefully, God please save me, they're combined to make it a higher dollar order, but <laughs> like, but this is how I'm test this is how I personally am am kind of testing like the player sure. market of like who wants to play it, uh, and, and using that as the equivalent. But yeah, I everything you're saying makes sense. I'm just uh Yeah, yeah, no, it's good, it's good conversation. This is also um it's also just my like investment philosophy period. Like I, again, if I'm, my stock portfolio is really bland, <laughs> like it's index funds. It is me trying to calculate if Apple or Microsoft or, uh, those are my two biggest holdings technically are near intrinsic value and just adding more to my position. It's just like, Hey, I get a dividend. So essentially or, you're going to be rich. Got it. Okay. Warren, uh, sit down. I'll, well, yeah, well, that's, that's what I, that's what you read, man. I want yeah. it. You want to be good. True. Like, I calculate intrinsic value. It's not the best buy yet. I want to, you know, but da 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 da. Um, and, and but I still I have a tiny bit in crypto. I have a tiny bit. I have some gross stocks. Like I have a little bit of Netflix. Um, and the reason I say Netflix is because like again their PE ratio is crazy. Tesla's PE ratio is a thousand, which is I think really what's mirroring this conversation. In when we talk about all of the new hype stuff in TCGs. You're still seeing that in GME. You're seeing that in Tesla. You're seeing that in ARK. Like I get it. I mean, people make money, and I absolutely get it. It's that, and I'm an ex-Tesla employee. <laughs> like I, I was. I ironically enough, I drove. I test drove a Model Three yesterday. I'm thinking about getting a new car. But I really want. Being, the, I really want the S3. S3. Dude, it's so nice. It's so nice. Um, My wife's uncle let me drive it for the first time, and outside of getting used to the brakes, I was like. I want it now. Yeah, I was <laughs> I want it. Anyways. I never got to see the finished car. I was on the, the team uh, building it, but I never got to actually drive it. Um, so you're going to get, what, an employee discount? 
contributions. No, no. So oh, even Tesla, on. Tesla employees never they got zero uh, percent uh, loans. So you only had to pay principal. Fix this. <laughs> um, but that's my <laughs> point. Is it's like you have I have if I'm running a business, can I? get 30% return in Pokemon or in Yu-Gi-Oh or wherever. And that's reliable. And that's the 90% of my business. 10% of it can be in speculative stuff that who, who knows. Um, betting the house, betting the farm on something new, even if you make 500%, 50, say 5,000% and you go crazy and you make buttloads of money. You still see the volatility of things like Tesla, and I still think you're going to see the volatility in things like these new card games. Um, and it's that that's when the market is going to actually decide if people are here for the money or they're here for the game. Once you see that, and I see it established, and it and it's had some time to live and breathe, yeah, I'll absolutely like take a look at it. But I'm just like fairly conservative when it comes to the money because I can get a guaranteed thirty percent return over here. Why am I going to be greedy and you know? Yeah. So that's it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. The, the 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 proof in the pudding point just feels a little bit ephemeral in, in terms of you can't really specify at one point in time where it's going to say like, hey, the consumer base is here for the game, not the money. There's not going to be a single point in time. It's going to be like a thousand little things kind of combined into one. And it's yeah. going to be a threshold for your own discovery, right? We've seen ups and downs in all of the major markets or all of the, all of the TCGs. We've seen it across the collectible spectrum. Like I've lived through it many times. People come, people go, stores come, stores go, um, formats come and go. <laughs> like so many different layers, to your point of variables and layers. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, final point I wanted to bring up, or, or, before we move on, any final thoughts there? No, no, I've dragged this topic on so okay. extensively. We're good to go. <laughs> Thank you for being patient with me. I, we could, we should have moved on like six rebuttals ago. Um. I want to bring up this conversation of inflation again. So we talk about this. There's, there's this, there's a, I've kind of changed my opinion here because what we saw is, okay, every time a stimulus gets passed between 1 trillion to 2 trillion, however much, uh, get injected into the economy. Obviously it's not literally dollar bills. It's just zeros and ones. <laughs> um, we've seen that several times. There's another one coming and their narrative that we were talking about and, and I was very confident in a couple months ago was, hey, people are, are clinging to these alternative asset classes in times of inflation. You see it kind of in the housing market. We've seen it kind of in Pokemon. People are getting stimulus checks and buying stuff. And you do see it to some extent. Like, you, you know, when tax return season happens, you see people, you can literally see it in the sales. Like, why did I have so many sales today? Because, oh, people got their tax returns. Like, same thing with stimulus checks. It happens. I'm not necessarily sold anymore on the idea of people investing in low to mid middle range cards as a source of like trying to dodge inflation. I think a lot of that is just genuine consumer interest that is now a much larger pie than it was before. And I think especially in, in Pokemon, um, especially in Yu-Gi-Oh, I mean, everywhere, I don't think this is inflation and what there are inflation will and, and to the point like inflation I don't think has quite happened yet. Um I'm just I, I feel like we're seeing that if everyone's like, hey, we want to like get your money out of cash, like put it into assets so you can dodge inflation. There's legitimate concern there, but I don't think I think this is just organic demand. 
I feel like it would be being full on honest here. I feel like it would be intellectually dishonest of me after my prior arguments of founding TCGs, establishing a market to disagree with you on this. I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think the area in which uh, money is being put becomes more the the fulcrum. I think, uh, I think people rushing to, to put money in those extremely older cards that don't really see play none of that i think that or not even not even the older play just high price tags i could I see mean, high end stuff yeah yeah absolutely. like cards that have um i guess more than 3 3 or more zeros in it i could yeah. see that as like a safe being used for that but other than that and i think the vast majority of cards that do sell i do think are around the 20 dollar range 20 up to 100 and give or take um no i i don't i don't think you're i don't think you're wrong there to be honest with you I think yeah. Anything I mean, I'm comfortable even as saying anything under ten thousand dollars. I think is just genuine Ooh. interest. Oh wow! Oh, I want to rub shoulders with you, man. <laughs> well, but but here's the reason: <laughs> is it's like people are like, oh, it's the stimulus money, it's the unemployment. I'm like, yeah, it it absolutely could be, but a thousand dollars is not that much money. And I know a lot of people, and I, and, I'm, and I'm saying this, people are gonna be like, "Skill, you're out of touch." Da 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 da. He's I, right. I get it. But it's not actually that much money. You're not actually really moving the needle of anything. And it was something along the lines of uh, I was having a conversation with my uh, father-in-law where a similar thing, like on the news, it was like, oh, X percentage of people, you know, $1.9 trillion stimulus plan or plan was uh, established or sent out of it, $400 billion went to people. I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, that's a lot of money. But I also think people are just like paying rent and getting food and like bills. And like, yeah, the the kid in every house or the person in every house may be spending an extra five hundred bucks. But I again I don't I don't I don't I'm starting to like lessen I'm starting to just not buy this argument as much. And I was super into it six months ago. I was like, yeah, that's why it's going up. I think genuine interest and crypto. I absolutely believe crypto has had a lot to do with this because people are like, hey, I I and and it less from like this portfolio management standpoint of like, I don't want my money in the U.S. dollar. I want assets uncorrelated to this. I think yeah. it's just like, hey, I just I have this fun money in crypto. I made all this money. Bitcoin is fun for me. You know what else is also fun? Cards and cards are fun, and they also represent investments. Let me just do that. I don't see how what you're putting forth here in the original con- like argument of, I I don't see how they're mutually exclusive. Why can't it be both? It, it can be both, but I feel like the only people who re- like, I don't think I have any legitimate stake to like, I don't think I have enough money to try to dodge inflation. <laughs> like, like, I just, like, I feel like the people who are really worried about inflation are people who have millions, if not maybe tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars. But I think a lot of people when they, if you're going to invest in a card, it's because it's, it's how it's phrased by, honestly, probably by people like us. Because sure. you're right in that everybody is chalking it up to being, okay, it's the stimulus checks. That's why everybody's buying all this stuff. Like, okay, but that's how we're phrasing. Okay, yeah, they've got extra money in their pocket. They're also trapped at home and they want entertainment. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. so there's there's more to it. Okay, so now they have that little flexibility. But at the same time, you know, the, the folks who are trying to dodge inflation, it's not even it's not even just dodging inflation. It's just, I know I can make more money putting my money here than somewhere else, right? Sure. And it's not just the dodging inflation part, because, yeah, that is to, to really, truly be dodging inflation. You have to have a shit ton of money if that's your reason. 
So I think though like these like names, like the labels put on it are uh shortcuts, what do you call it? Heuristics of yeah, yeah. much broader groups that are doing it. So to and that's why, you know, I, I reached back and was like, I'm not sure they're mutually exclusive because I think you're right. But I also do, uh, if you rewind the clip when you mentioned, you know, stimulus checks and, and tax returns, I grinned like the Joker uh, because my sales go through the roof every year. Uh, every year. Yeah. Um, so it's like there 100%, 100%. is. 100%. I, I just don't, I feel like it can definitely still be both. And and when, you know, we, people who, who are talking about it on a, on a podcast or whatever it is kind of label it this way it's like okay but that can't be the whole case or that's not that's not yeah. true to justice it's i think it's right to to critique it and to point out there are different aspects this is 100 what i do when i talk about investing in singles there's i could probably separate out 12 off the cusp different ways to invest in singles in the tcg industry so to go to an even broader point where we're talking about something like this to, to kind of boil it down or, or to try and justify it by one or the other, I just don't think it's, it's fair. Yeah. Well, and, and in good news, that's good. Like for the hobby, yeah. if, if you believe this is the case, like more people are interested and that's just objectively yeah. a good thing. I, I, I think I just by nature tend to default to like these really stupid big brain giga brain garbage ideas <laughs> like it's you know people are taking their money out of you know the bank and putting it in cards i mean maybe some people are but i don't think you know i i could absolutely see it to your point of the high end like people are buying hundred thousand sports cards and all that I, okay sure but for anything that i think the vast majority of majority of us are buying and selling i think it's just more people found the hobby and that's a good thing. And I think in the long run, like that'll be good. Will it slow down when the world opens up again? Probably in the long run is, are we going to have like a crash or people are going to be, there will be less people interested in the hobby than before. Probably not. But anyway, I, I feel like I was just over romanticizing for the past six months, this like really technical mathematic idea, mathematical idea of, of like inflation, just being like, it's coming inflate. I see it on Twitter all the time. Inflation is coming. Like, no, no. Like to the point, CPI, the Consumer Price Index, publishes the weekly reports. When milk hits ten dollars a gallon, then we can talk about inflation. But until milk becomes ten dollars or like gas becomes fifty dollars a gallon, I don't want to hear anything about inflation yet. We haven't seen it. Fun fact: In Hawaii, I'm pretty sure milk is like eight dollars a gallon. So it is careful, yeah. guys. We're close, <laughs> but that's I think normal. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> that's it. Anyway, I, I would just. I, uh, yeah, I've been, if you haven't noticed already, I've been, uh, really diving into the, uh, Benjamin Graham, Warren Buffett intrinsic value talks this week on YouTube as I'm working. Oh yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> nice. And I'm, so I'm working on the Yu-Gi-Oh stuff too. So that'll be out soon. But anyway, final thoughts, goals for this week. Any other final comments, uh, fun projects? Uh, I have upwards of 40 boxes of first edition Monarch that I really hope I can at least get 30% off <laughs> in my actual possession. Um, nice. That's, that's me. Um, just what I've got ordered and kind of what I'm sinking in on outside that getting the company going, uh, really want to get that. Um, just be, uh, official. Finally, I love the name, little Prince games, just again, shameless, shameless throw out, probably going to be changing my Twitter handle, to, uh, it, in some form or fashion eventually to that as well. But, uh, um yeah just i don't know it's there's so 
there's so much to do constantly. And then I feel like I always get here and it's like, well, what did you do this last week? And I'm like, I didn't do anything, did I? And I'm like, no, I worked 12 hour days. What did I work on? Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's what my mind goes to. Nice. You, you had asked me before the show, um, clarifying yes. something about inventory. Yes. So we had a conversation, uh, I think it was two casts back. We spoke about uh, reporting for taxes and basically reporting every uh, transaction that we do. So if you buy a card and then you sell it and you make a profit off that, you have to report that profit. Um, so stuff that, you know, Zekiel and I do is we like to keep track of that mainly for our own personal reasons for sales research, what's selling, what sure. attributes, what analysis. I know I particularly, I go ham on this. Um, however, somebody reached out and, and said, you know, I was under, and this is a quote, I was under the impression that you simply track the total amount you spend each month and then total amount of sales each month. Uh, if you apply that concept to Walmart or Target, that method suggests they report profit made on every individual pack of gum and chapstick they sell versus total amount spent on inventory versus total sales. Uh, just wanted to get your thoughts and maybe some further clarifications on what you guys uh, were talking about there. So I thought that was a really good question because I couldn't answer it off the cusp immediately. And I was talking with Zakiel Precast. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so um, he, he, they are correct. I track individual items. So the the reason that I was doing that and the reason I still to, still do that is because uh, my business started when I had very few items and not very much money. So I was like, hey, I sell, um, well, this was many years ago, hey, I'm selling 10 cards a month and I make $200 or something. And this is the money that I made. These are what I sold. This is what I paid. This is the exact profit I made. Because in the reality, like in the end, the numbers are the same. You're tracking how much inventory you have on hand, what you sold, what you spend there, and so on and so forth. Um, when you get larger, you can, there's all kinds of accounting systems of like first in, first out, where you're just monitoring SKUs. There's I mean, last in, first out. There's many different ways to slice the pie. Um, cash accrual method, like accounting gets so deep into this kind of stuff. Whatever works for you is what you should do. <laughs> and talk to your accountant and figure it out. Or, or if you don't have an accountant, just book an informational session with one get all of the questions, the exact tax questions answered. We are not tax professionals. Um, I think it, it, it only, it can cost you 50 bucks. It's like literally not, it's going to be worth every dollar you spend. Um, become educated, like get some insight into what you're actually doing. Um, but the reason that I had stated it the way that I did is because like, that's just a habit that I have. And I just literally like to see exactly uh, what has gone in and what has gone out. And it's the reason that I no longer sell cheap stuff. I typically don't sell anything under $10. I just buy list everything um, and primarily focus on that mid to high end stuff uh, because you can do the same process and it's like, hey, okay, I made 30% here, you know, whatever. Um, the profits that you do make are still taxed, but if you're taking that money and reinvesting into something else, then you dodge the tax liability because you're now uh, increasing the amount of expenses that you have by you know buying and selling more and more and more. Um, so we're both right, but different ways, if that makes any sense. No, it totally does. Uh, basically, and please tell me if my summary is correct, because I'm, I'm understanding it my own sure. way as well. Even though you might have incurred profits on the individual cards that have kind of added up for this month, 
If, so, you know, everything that's come back in this month with profits and everything is for ease of, of just conversion here is $4,000, but then I've spent 5,000 buying more or increasing my inventory. I'm still technically at a loss, right? Even though I've generated profit on those, I still need to pay tax on that profit, but just reporting that, that well, I think I said three versus five is, is still the Correct. Well, yeah, the, the, you have profit, but your profit is you have, you have transactional expenses. So basically if you sell something for a hundred dollars and we ship more stuff, you have to pay for shipping, you have to pay for supplies, you have to do all these things. Those are write-offs, which lower your tax liability. So you always have to pay tax on your profits, but the reason it's done by quarter, it's not done by like day. So even though you're very profitable today, if you made a thousand dollars this month and next month you spent a thousand dollars on supplies, you no longer have a tax liability because it was an expense to your business. And I'm oversimplifying. Do not, please do not take this yes. as gospel. Yes, There's many, many different levers talk to a CPA. layers to this. Um, yes, but but it does. It, it's all I have to do quarterly excise tax returns that are based in this. But to the point, yeah, we are. You just monitor what you spent this month, what how much inventory you have on hand, and how much sales you had, um, and then also all the expenses that that you had as well. But yes, answer your question. They are correct. But get all the clarifications about however you want to do bookkeeping or monitor your taxes for whatever works for you. Um, I'm just a complete nerd and like to go way too into the details, which I should probably stop doing. And uh, yeah, we should, you know, I, I could have my, my accountant actually come on to the channel. That's probably a good episode, actually. That would be a great episode. Oh my God. I, <laughs> I would pay for that. <laughs> She, uh, yeah, she does Zoom, so maybe that'd be really cool. Okay. Yeah, no, that'd be fun. Um, yeah, I had something, but now that got me excited, and I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. Um, yeah. Eh. Cool. All right. Well, um, what, what, what have you been working on, though? Uh, did you mention that? I haven't that? been doing anything. I've <laughs> no, I'm working on more PSA submissions. Um. This damn RFID project has got started and stopped a dozen times, and I'm on it again. I was off it, now I'm on it again, um, but I'm on my video essay. I want to get this done soon. I want it to be quality, and I want to put out good work. Um, and I'm in the middle of it. I'm hoping to have it out. It'll pro I'll probably another week, um, but I'm trying to do uh, just good work. I don't know. I'm diving into Yu-Gi-Oh. I still got to watch all of these episodes, so it's going to take me a bit more time. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, that's it, man. Waiting for PSA to get my stuff back. My everyday, every day, uh, every second the clock ticks, Ancient Muse for some reason are becoming more and more expensive. And dude, then it's insane. Ancient Mew and PSA 10 is, I think, $600 now. And um, it's bad. Yeah, 785 is one that's listed. I was buying them for $20. Granted, not all the ones I sent out will be 10s. My initial sketches were uh, the PSA 10s that would come back would be 80 bucks. I would spend 30 and, you know, the, pardon me, the 9s would allow me to double. The 10s would be like 150. I'm looking at potentially like a 25 times multiplier if I get any 10s in my 300 PSA MU submission. Uh, it's, it's split up across a bunch of different orders, but... It's like every day I look at these prices, I'm like, I don't know how this is sustainable, number one. And two, wow. 
That is a market that doesn't make sense to me. That's moving <laughs> no, in doesn't the make sense to me. opposite direction that it should be. Oh, man. See, that's one that I would want to pull out the spreadsheets. I want to pull out the PowerPoints. I'd want to pull out. And I would, I would love to make a case as to why, especially knowing, of course, that you're invested in it, why you should be going down. Not um, it but, should be. It should be. Uh, that's see. great for you. I mean, that's uh, that defies all logic that I can put together. But hey, hey, there you go. So a a, a ten sold for six forty five on PWCC two weeks ago. The nines are about one hundred and fifty. I'm seeing some tens go for between four hundred to six hundred dollars, which is just that's just not okay. Like I would, I wouldn't buy that. But okay. But the nice thing about that too is that people who are paying that now, they don't want somebody else to pay less, right? Yeah, and um, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I'm sure maybe I'll get if I submitted 300 mews, I'll probably get 25 tens. I feel like they're going to control the pop a lot, even though the ones I submitted are in pretty good condition. The nines, granted, my cost basis is $25 each. It cost me 12 bucks to buy them, plus another 10 to grade them. Um, or they were free if they were in my membership thing. The nines are 150. It's like 25 to 150 is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Let alone the tens. Like the eights are, are just under 100. So, like, I don't do I don't know what's going on anymore. <laughs> to say the least. So, I'm waiting for that payday. Um, I will probably make a bigger investment i've been last couple of things here i uh have been driving around seattle a lot and um that collection i mentioned i still haven't i don't know what ended up happening to it but collections are starting to pop up again and it's like kind of weird where i'm like ah i don't know if i actually like when you think about intrinsic if you think about fundamentals and in, in buying cards is it does it make sense to buy cards at this elevated price like how much confidence do you have in the market price of these cards going forward versus them you know the price of these exact same cards 12 months from now so i've been passing on a a, a couple decent opportunities of you know anywhere between 500 to about five grand uh not major collections but like decent sized ones um where it's like you know while I, there is money to be made here i'm not in, not entirely like excited or like I don't really want, yeah, I'm like, I'm not confident to really buy this and I can just pass it and wait for something I really like. That's, uh, it's, it's good to hear that the collections are coming back for sure. Yeah. I think it's summer and stuff too, but all right, let's get out of here. Um, my name is Akil. I go by rainy day collectibles online. This has been another episode of the collecting spec podcast. If you want to follow my content, you can find me at rainy day collectibles almost everywhere. Chris, if people want to follow your content or um, hear more about what you do, where can they find that information? Uh, y'all can find me on Twitter or Discord as Wolf of Tin Street, uh, soon to be renamed, I think, on a majority of these platforms as Little Prince Games. Um, so, yeah, and definitely please do check us out over at the band community on Patreon. We definitely we just had a, a raffle. We we got our hands on through a very generous benefactor. Uh, we got our hands on I think uh, twenty or forty. I'm I'm blanking right now. Uh, first edition Monarch boxes at one fifty per, which is um, still a fairly good deal when they're selling at three hundred retail right now. So if that interests you at all? Feel free to head on over there.
Cool. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good week, and we'll talk to you soon. Cheers, guys.